Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. You know what I'm going to add to the list? I'm a screw up. I'm going to add that to the list. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Mark. I'm a massage therapist, kinesiologist, and I'm a screw up because this is take two. I forgot to hit a button on the mixer. And uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Everything is fine. <laughs> Happy Monday. Everything is fine. Hey, everyone, it's Amanda, and we are Screw hanging up. out with Jess on Zoom. And uh, we met him in September in Edmonton at a conference. Him and his partner, Brianna, are the owner of AIM Online Education. So they teach wait, a wait, lot wait, of wait, stuff. Wait, wait. Have you ever gone skating in that mall before? Oh, when I was a kid, yeah. like eons ago, yeah. Eons ago. Eons. Well, you still, you still have a little baby face, so maybe it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, that, that will never leave, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Would you like a mall with a skating rink in it? I was really fascinated by West Edmonton Mall. I thought it was really cool. I thought that my kids would get a freaking kick out of For it. For anyone that doesn't know, like this is a massive mall in Edmonton. There's like a skating rink in it. There's a water park. There's like a water park. There's like this crazy ass fucking hotel that's attached to it where Fantasy if I if land. I wanted to feel like I was sleeping in a spaceship, I could. Yeah. If I yeah. wanted to feel like I was sleeping in the Amazon, I could. If I wanted to feel like I was hanging out in ancient Rome, I could. It's like a really fucking cool place. Yeah, and see we were we were so busy on the trade show running around um, as massage therapy media, interviewing different vendors and educators, and Jess was teaching. We um, we tried, I think, two different different days to see if we could all hang out together, him, Brianne, myself, and Mark. And it just didn't happen. Like we were just way too busy that weekend. So I don't even feel like we got to really experience West Edmonton Mall like I no, wish not we really. could have. Not not the only I think the only thing I did was um on the lunch break for one of my classes, I, I had to walk to the other end of the mall to shop and shopping to buy deodorant. Yes you did. Yeah. <laughs> like that's as close <laughs> as I got to uh we went to, we went to the the Lego store and right, we got right, to right, see right, right, right. there was a, a Lamborghini, oh, a Lamborghini a lime green Lamborghini that was made I wish I remembered the number now it was a some hell, hell it was something like hundreds of thousands of pieces of Lego to build this Lamborghini and the guy I spoke to in the store who seemed very passionate about Lego might I add um said that that be. Lamborghini actually is probably worth more than an actual Lamborghini just with the amount of work Jeez. and everything that went into it and all of the the pieces and like cuz there's, there's there's an actual like metal frame like it's yeah, just yeah. wild anyway totally off topic but um i said in take one so i have to say it again i joked with jess when we met that him and his partner are sort of like the mark and amanda of the west you know they are uh running an education company and um they're quite cooler than us so i don't know if that's an insult <laughs> to him but i'm gonna let jess introduce himself because he has so many different certifications and such a rich background and now he's he's teaching a bunch of stuff so i want to get his story, Jess. So how you got welcome, into this. Jess Alphabet. Yeah, Jess Alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I'm I'm looking forward to our chat today. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, a bit of background. I uh, I practice as a doctor of acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, I do massage therapy. I'm a nutritionist, a nutritionist, a health coach as well, and I also do hypnotherapy. So I, I, I cover a lot of ground in my daily practice. And then outside of the practice, I also, as you said, run AIM Online Education with my fiance, Brianne. And that's uh, mostly focused towards massage therapists, but uh, this year we did a number of yoga workshops next year. I'm doing a couple acupuncture workshops, so in many different forms of, of uh, 
integrative medicine and sort of the wellness industry. Right on. You also have a podcast coming out in the new year, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Uh, ju just starting the episodes will start to uh, be trickled out in January. So it's a, it's a baby fresh podcast for me. Right on. So we'll, we'll, we'll wrap out that near the end too. That way, yeah, that way we can get all our listeners latched onto what you're, what you got going on. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about this. Like, what were you doing first, man? I want to know, I want to know the, the, the timeline here because you got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Like what, yeah. give, give, give me where this goes. Yeah. So how far back do we want to go? Like, uh, pre-medicine days yeah man i want i want i want to know what you took on first yeah and what made you take that on and then okay. let's go from there yeah i'd love to hear yeah, the yeah. inspiration how people get into this type of work and especially in Did a you case say like inspiration inspiration oh. <laughs> <laughs> not desperation i'm sure he wasn't desperate but <laughs> well, yeah what inspired you to get into um integrative medicine in the first place yeah. and yeah, and like what your exposure was to it before, because I find there's some people who come on here and like, yeah, you know, I was working in like tech or animation or, you know, something wildly different. And then mm -hmm. they somehow get the inspiration for health. So, yeah, let's hear your story. Yeah, I mean, mine, mine kind of falls into that category. Uh, I first got into acupuncture. That was my, my first certification. Um, but prior to acupuncture, I was I was a tradesman. I was um, I did a couple of years of my electrical apprenticeship, uh, plumbing. You know, I did framing. You name it. I, I grew up in a trades family up in northern Alberta, so that was sort of my my life trajectory. Uh, so definitely out of left field when I decided I was going to go to acupuncture school, and I told my my family, they're like, "Oh, what now? <laughs> You're going to do what?" <laughs> so very much out of the the ordinary for for myself and my family. But um, but what got me into it is is one day, my uh, my friend and I, we were working together at this construction company. And we had just left the shop, and we were headed to the job. And like working working in the trades, particularly if there's no women in the shop, it gets pretty damn macho. Mm. And uh, we we're just driving to the the job site one day, and we're both like, "Man, this just this just doesn't fit." Like we're just not that that type of guys, right. you know? Like the just didn't fit us. So we're like, we should do something else, blah, 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 just throwing around ideas. And then we're like, you know what we should do? Ha, ha, ha. We should become massage therapists. Ha, ha, Like total joke, right? Because <laughs> both of us coming from trades families, if we had have like said, hey, dad, I want to be a massage therapist, they'd be like, no. <laughs> so <laughs> hell you are. <laughs> exactly. Like that's, no, you're not no doing No son that. of mine, one of those. Exactly. So kind of joking around about it. And then, um, I don't know, months passed and, and eventually I had enough. And then I, uh, I just, uh, I packed up my stuff. I sold most of it, got rid of what I, I couldn't sell. All I had was a backpack. And then I spent about a year hitchhiking around uh, Canada and the States, mostly in the States. Hitchhiking. And, uh, that's, that's yeah, like, yeah. That seems wildly yeah, dangerous. From, <laughs> is it wildly dangerous though? You think it's wildly dangerous. I know. I just, I feel that way it because I, I always dangerous. assume the people that are going to pick me up are going to be murderers, but that probably isn't the case. And we've had multiple people on our podcast who before. have hitchhiked and it seems like this is a thing people do, but in my mind, it's only something that happens in movies and you get picked up by somebody like Freak Show from Harold and Kumar. So no, I, so tell I me, couldn't do it. Tell me if this is true because I was listening to, I think it was, David Cho on Joe Rogan talking about his hitchhiking adventures because that's how David David Cho's this artist guy right and yeah, uh, yeah. that's how he travels that's how he used to travel he would just like he toured the world by way of thumb in a highway and he was pretty much saying like there's only so many types of people that'll pick you up and the amount of information that happens in this in this ride is insane because at some yeah. point you go from the small pleasantries, how are you, where are you going, what are you up to, who you are. And then if the ride is long enough, it turns into, I'm never going to see this person again. So 
I actually can offload like really big, deep stuff that's going on in my mind and in my life to this person who's really just stuck here to listen to me. And I can <laughs> offload all of this stuff. So he was saying like the amount of like really deep stuff, whether it was, you know, really positive or really negative or really illegal or whatever the case is, just that comes out in this type of conversation is insane. Does that sound familiar to you or no? Oh, that's like, that's 100% accurate. <laughs> and I, I can't think of a single ride that that wasn't like that. Even even if it was like a like a 20 minute ride, I'm going to take you to the, the, you know, the next road or something like that. It was like right into it. And, and like you said, sometimes it was people just wanting to offload their life story, but as often as not, it was people wanting to offload their life advice. You know, they mm. pitch, pick up a hitchhiker and they're like, this is somebody who needs needs some help and needs some advice. So you just get buckets of advice, whether you want it or not. See, that's the part that I wasn't expecting. We had someone on our couch. Was it Slow Medicine? Possibly. Megan from Slow Medicine, because she, she went hitchhiking. She hitchhiked. Right? Yeah. And she was saying the same thing. She's like, the, the type of person that picks you up a lot of the times is someone that th- sees you hitchhiking. They're like, you need some sort of help, and I'm a helpful kind of person, and therefore I will... You know. So why why did you decide to hitchhike across Canada and the States? Like I obviously, as you said, you just you needed out of the profession. You knew yeah. you didn't fit in with with the trade. So you thought, what, soul searching? Was that the purpose of this? Pretty much exactly it. You know, it's that early twenties, I think I was like twenty one or twenty two at the time and right at the time in life where it's like, What's what's the meaning of life? And I gotta, you know, figure out who I am and asking all those those early twenties questions. And uh, I figured the best way to do it was just to 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 follow. I was really into Jack Kerouac back then. Like I'd read mm. all, all the stuff. I'd gone through on the road a couple times, and I'm like, that's that's the way. Hitchhike across the the North America, and you'll find yourself. Of course, you don't. Um, but that that was really the motivation. Like you said, sort of soul searching. Would your ultra masculine trades family been happier to hear you're hitchhiking than going to massage school? Oh God, half of them. Yes. Well, my, my, my dad was like, yeah, you know, I get it. He did the same thing when he was young. He lived in Ontario, hitchhiked to BC and back. He's like, okay, I get it. Kind of rite of passage. But my mom, on the other hand, was like, why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> I, would, I would be yeah. mom. Why? Yeah. Where are you going? I'll drive you. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the whole thing that you don't end up finding yourself? How, how does that happen? Like, what were you mm-hmm. expecting? Or maybe you weren't? Are you disappointed with the end result at the end? Or are yeah, you like, no, oh, no you know, not at all. Tell me, tell me. No, it's like during the trip, there's there's almost no finding yourself, you know, because what what I didn't anticipate and what none of these books that that kind of glorify this this process tell you about is the fact that you start off living in a home, you know, you got your stuff, you got your food, you got your friends, you got your family. And then the next day you have literally nothing. Suddenly you're like bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. You got right. you got nothing. So you're not thinking about your higher self and a better version of yourself. You're thinking like, where where am I gonna like poop? Like honestly, yeah, I yeah, what yeah, what am I gonna eat for dinner tonight? So there's no time or space to do this sort of self-development stuff. But then at the end of it, you know, after the year and you get back and you collect and you reflect on this year of a lot of heartache and suffering, some really amazing experiences, that's when sort of the the self-development and the, the bettering yourself part happens in my experience anyways. That makes a lot of sense. Because when you're when you're out, it's just like survival mode. There's no time yeah. to there's no time to sit down and, and contemplate yourself in life. You're just like too busy trying to figure out where the hell am I gonna eat, where the hell am I gonna yeah. shelter, blah, 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 blah. I get it. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. get it. Because I, I again that same that same dude on on Rogan, probably a, maybe in the same episode, how he was talking about he was 
he went to Africa to hang out with this tribe in Africa who like hunt baboons. Like that's what they eat now because like every they used to kill and eat everything. And he's like over the over the the decades like. There's nothing left to eat but fucking baboons, and these cats. There's no depression. There's no anxiety. There's no. There's no time to sit down and 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 not be not in survival mode. And he was like, because he got a translator with him. And when he was like, yeah, you guys should come to the states and like, you know, I should bring you there and see what life's. And their answer was basically this: Why would we want to go there? Isn't that the place where people like jump out of buildings and take their lives and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Like. It, it, to show like the extreme ends of like our life is 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 family community and survival mode do you know what i mean yeah you know that that was an interesting part of it too is is like afterwards and and since then because it it has been like 15 15 ish years since then but whenever whenever i'm like oh life is so hard you know and i get very get into one of those <laughs> modes because things aren't going exactly how i want them to i'm like you know it's actually not that bad because when you've when you've had nothing like i, I spent two weeks homeless in san francisco in that experience you know like i think back to that i'm like no that's that's suffering that's nothing so you kind of like know know that there's there's so much more to life than your little concerns and worries that tend to preoccupy us on a normal day is in the back of your mind you can always like you know what i can always just call home and just get flown home and and, and end all this if i wanted to is that is that even in the back of your mind or you're like you know what i'm doing this and i'm doing it all he's full shaking on. his head no yeah i was it was all in it was all in like i mean uh, this, this was like cell phones existed but you know like the most advanced cell phone was like the motorola razor right, or something right, like right, that hey right. man know, like those a, were good freaking phone. phones those were, they were really phones. good phones, right? <laughs> but I couldn't afford to haul around a cell phone or anything like that. Um, so that wasn't an option. And the next is I just kind of made that that mental decision, like, no, I'm I'm, I'm doing, doing this. this. Yeah, there yeah. there is no escape plan. There's no phone home for help. And how long was this self discovery trip? Like, how long were you away? How long? I was about a year. Oh wow, a year of essentially be like I know you you said specifically you were you were homeless in San Francisco I assume other places you found shelter and somewhere to stay but like a year of essentially being homeless and just surviving and hoping that kind strangers will take you to your next destination like this to me sounds like I would I would be terrified. You know how when we talk to people, Mark, and they talk to you about all of the struggles they go through in life, and you're like, man, I don't know how you do it. I'd be cr- curled up in a corner. And I would say, no, you wouldn't. This is like where I'm like, I hear this and think, I would curl up in a corner. See, I'd be the reverse. The, that 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 internal struggle stuff. Not that you didn't have any, but that that massive internal struggle that really leaves people fucking floored, and they crawl out of that. That's the stuff that I'm like, I would not crawl out of. But something like this, I think I. No, I something would, like, I, would, I. I don't I know. Do I I am like the farthest person, the farthest away from being like a super adventurous person. Like there's things that I'm like, oh, that'd be a cool experience. But I'm the person that would have to like have somebody with me, have a backup plan. Like I don't even, I don't even want to go to Costa Rica because everyone tells me there's nowhere you can stay in Costa Rica that you're not going to possibly wake up with like, you know, bugs or reptiles beside you. (laughs) I thought you were going to say something worse. I thought you were going to say wake up in a bathtub full of ice with your kidneys missing. No, come on. (laughs) I just mean I'm like so not adventurous and I I hear all these stories from people and I'm like it sounds so cool. I just I don't know if I have it in me. So after this entire year, you know, Mark was sort of getting to this and you you said you didn't really have time to find yourself necessarily because you were just trying to survive and go through it. Mm-hmm. But 
obviously something must have come from this where you either had a decision that, okay, I need to go back home or like, where, where were you mentally at the end of all of this? Yeah, the, there was a, a reason I came back home. My, my dad, tradesman, right? And, and living up in Northern Alberta, he was on a job and he fell off like a 20 foot roof and he was, you know, a relatively old man. So he busted himself up and he's living on this farm alone by himself. And I'm right. like, I, I gotta go, I gotta go help him out. Like, he can't even make himself food because he's so so busted. So that was sort of the the impetus to, to head back home. And if it weren't for that, then who knows what would have happened, how much longer I would have spent on the road. Yeah. Uh, but th- that's what brought me home. And um yeah, yeah. During during the trip, sort of to, to kind of figure out how it meshes into I get home from this trip, stay with my dad for a bit, and then go to school for acupuncture is there's this point in time when I was actually just after San Francisco and and that was like rock bottom, you know, like that, that was just a horrible experience. I was ready to tap out. I'm like, screw this. I, I am going home. However, I got to do it. But um, when I was hitchhiking out of San Francisco, one of the rides I got, they they took me up into this tiny little town in the mountains in, in California, the, the Sierras. And, and I sit down at the computer and I was going to do that, that phone home thing. I'm like, this is it. So mm-hmm. I sit down, I open up my, the web browser and I'm starting to type an email to mom, right? Like mom help. And I'm just writing a couple sentences. And then I hear this, this voice from behind me. It's like this deep booming voice. And, and I couldn't help but turn around. I'm like that, that, you know, you never hear a voice like that where you're mm-hmm. like, what, what kind of person is this coming from? So I turn around and sure enough, there's this, this, like full on legit monk standing there, like Buddhist monk, robes, bald head, and everything, and he's just returning some books. And I'm like, what? Like, this is this is like one of one of the the whitest classic American towns on the planet. And we gotta, huh? So I go up to this guy and I'm like, hey, uh, what are you doing here? And he's <laughs> like, what are you doing here? You know, in this like profound, deep baritone right, voice. Right. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, well, how about you come and stay with me for a little bit, you know, spend some time up at the monastery and um, then, you know, go your own way. And I'm like, thank you. So I was only supposed to spend a week with this guy, but his monastery was way out in, in the middle of nowhere. And this huge rainstorm came in and it washed out the road. So we couldn't drive out. We could only walk. And it mm. was like a 30-mile walk or something. So I ended up spending like a month with this guy. And it was during that time where I met an acupuncturist, one of the other people kind of in that that zone down the road. And yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time with this acupuncturist. And I'm like, this is it. This is what I want to do is, is not necessarily acupuncture, but this idea of spending my days involved in helping people heal. Like, mm. man, that feels good. I'm going to argue um, that you did find yourself on the trip now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like that was the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, like, I, I can't help it, but I know people are going to roll their eyes when I say it, but this is like divine intervention. Like you said, you're in the middle of like the like most whitewashed place in America you and you meet a Buddhist monk in a library this? who brings you to a monastery. Like yeah. that this, was all this, meant to by happen, the way, Jess. is a story that, that it, single guys, this will get you laid all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just take this story and twist it and use it. Put your name in the mix. I was backpacking in the foothills. Yeah. <laughs> this will get you laid all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You. Th- this was absolutely meant to happen. You were meant to yeah. meet this guy. Even the rainstorm, you know, it kept you there oh, for really? a little bit longer. This was all divine intervention. I don't care what any of you say. You can all roll your fucking eyes at me. <laughs> this was meant to happen because look what came out of this, Jess. Like you mm-hmm. were a trades guy, n- miserable, hanging out with all of these macho men. They like this is not not for me. 
and you go and travel. You're miserable, not knowing where to go, and you meet this monk. This is a movie, by the way, or a book. Have you written a book yet? You should write a book. <laughs> well, I, I still have all of my notes, and as I was going through the experience, I was writing it in narrative style, so one day I might translate it That's into cool. some sort of book. That is cool. All right, so now you know you want to get into acupuncture. So, so do you do you go home from this monastery, or do you continue on the road for a little bit? Um, I was on the road for maybe another three months after that, so... Not not that long, and and after that point, things got a lot easier. Um, prior to that point, there was a lot of scary things and kind of kind of shitty things. Yeah. After that point, it was just kind of another couple months of working my way up the west coast of of the states, and then made it home. But nothing dramatic happened in that time. I feel like that might be because you feel like a little bit more, like I've got direction. I've got I've got mm. I've got a, I've got a sort of subconscious plan going on, and therefore you you might just look at your surroundings a little bit differently. See, and I've never yeah. hung out with monks, but I imagine they're pretty peaceful people. I feel like you would leave there feeling <laughs> just a little more chill after that, no? Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. And again, perspective. It was the strangest type of monastery because it was a type of Buddhism called Tendai Buddhism, mm. which is all about suffering. Like, that's it. It's like every single day we... You ever watch those reality shows where it's like people standing under cold waterfalls and it's right, like right, every right. day we're standing under these waterfalls and one meal a day and these these things called kaihogyos where once a week we would do like a 35 mile hike and, and like just just suffering for deliberate suffering. So deliberate afterwards suffering. it was like there was this huge state of or profound state of calm, mm -hmm. but also another level of like, okay, I think I really get this whole suffering thing now. <laughs> <laughs> So then, you, so then you come home because mm -hmm. dad needs you. How long are you on your dad's farm before you go back to school? Oh, about a about a month or so. And then Not bring long. us bring us through your education journey because again, you've got yeah. you got a lot of things. Yeah. Then I I get get home and then um, I got back to Calgary and I was sleeping on a friend's couch at the end of June, I think, or July. It was right near the end of right near the end of July. And um, it was my same friend, actually, that we were sitting in the truck saying, like, we should become massage therapists. And and I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to go check out a couple different schools. I'm going to look at nutrition and acupuncture and massage. And the first school I went to was an acupuncture school. And I sat down with the the dean. And, and it was like that day, he's like, all right, you want to sign the papers? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so within being home and deciding to go to school and then ending up in the classroom was was a matter of weeks. Right. And um, then once once I got into school, like, I, I was a horrible student in high school, right? Like, no homework. Didn't didn't participate in anything, but uh, I figured, hey, I'm I'm paying a lot of money to be here. I should actually put the effort in. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I just I fell more and more love with the industry. I can't say the practice, right? Like I do love what I do, but it's more the the industry of wellness. That's that's really where where my passion was. Um, and then I started getting more and more involved with different forms of of healing. Like I actually had this instructor, and she really took me under her wing. You know, like. Um, coached me along and really helped me. For some reason, she decided I, I was I was the one she was going to help. And she encouraged me to do a lot of different things. And she even encouraged me to do the next thing after uh, acupuncture. So my second year of acupuncture, that's when I, I got certified in hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. And it was largely because I realized as an acupuncturist, we've got this huge scope of practice. Like I don't think people realize the scope of practice of an acupuncturist. We're allowed to do anything and everything. We just can't call it depression, you know, but we right, can right, treat right. cheese stagnation. So our scope is huge. And I realized I'm not equipped to deal with 90% of the stuff people are coming in with because everybody who comes in, I mean, it's the same in massage, but maybe not as detailed, but they're like, I got a sore shoulder. 
And it's like, well, that sucks. Well, why, why does that matter? You know, like, well, why do you want to fix your shoulder? And then you get the whole life story. Right. I just wasn't equipped and I figured hypnotherapy was a great place to start to get myself equipped to deal with sort of the, the internal emotional stuff that comes up in the treatment room all the time. So that was, that was the next thing. So your treatments then became a combination of acupuncture and hypnotherapy, or was it like one or the other, depending on who the patient was? It was it was mostly acupuncture, but then if, if hypnotherapy was necessary, I'd introduce it. And then there came a point where people were hiring me just to do that. Like I, I ended up doing that as, as a side. It kind of was one of my jobs that got me through school was doing hypnotherapy. And so- when does massage come in? And did your friend come with you? No, no. He, well, he eventually did. He he decided to go nutrition. So he took a year of nutrition. And then after that, he he went to acupuncture. So he was a year behind me in acupuncture school. Mm-hmm. Um, but massage came in at a funny point because part of the acupuncture and Chinese medicine program is we have to learn massage, Twina, Chinese massage. Right. And going through the program, oh God, I was miserable. I hated it. I hated every second of it. I actually remember, and, and my... Uh, the, the dean, and I worked for this college a little bit later on, and he would always joke to me because I remember going into his office at one point in time in like my third year, we had to start doing massage uh, practice in the student clinic. And I go in and I'm like, I'm I'm not a massage therapist. I'm not doing this. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And he's like, you have to do it. And I'm like, oh, and I made such a big deal of it. And I hated it, right? I'm like, this is the worst. So why the hell would you then become an RMT? <laughs> Great question. So after I, I graduated, um, you know, I had this mountain of student loans I had to pay off. And just starting practice, it's not like I had enough clientele to to hit what I needed financially. So I got a job uh, uh, tutoring anatomy at a massage college. Mm-hmm. And that was my first entry into the, the teaching world. So I'm, I'm immersed in this massage college thing and there's massage therapists everywhere. And I'm still kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. Well, I'm, I'm just doing the, the anatomy stuff. And then I, I had to suddenly, one day, one of the, the TAs was sick or something like that. And I'm in this massage class. I just little by little, I was kind of forced into being involved in it more and more. And then one day I realized, you know what? The whole reason I didn't want to do this is I had this idea in my mind. It's like, no, I'm an acupuncturist. That's what I do. Mm. Uh, but once I had to actually start using my hands more and, and doing massage on a, on a daily basis, I was honest with myself and I'm like, you know, man, this is, this is actually freaking awesome. Like this is, this, this feels good to do and it feels great to receive. And I just kind of got over my own ego and myself and realized like, this, this is big. This is something I enjoy doing. And now when people come in for acupuncture, it's like, if they're in for an hour, I'll do 20 minutes of acupuncture. And then the other 40 minutes I'm doing massage. Like Mm. it's a, it's a huge part of my practice now. Do you think part of your, your reluctance to do massage was also like somewhere in the back of your mind, it was like that you and your friend had joked about it and you, you didn't look at it as an actual like viable career option for you. Like that might have been influencing you a little bit, right? I bet you're right. I, I can't see why not because there was such a a like aversion to it being like, that's, that's not a viable career. That's right. not something you can actually do or should actually do. Yeah, there was, there was definitely that in there too. So, so good insight. And then you... Now you've got all these certifications. And as you said, you were really interested in just the wellness industry as a whole. So where did you go from there? Where did your practice take you? um, And where does the health coaching come in? Yeah. So as I I continue to practice um, for for the at least the first half of my my career as a practitioner, it was mostly acupuncture. 
uh, and traditional Chinese medicine. So doing the whole doctor of Chinese medicine gig, mostly dealing with internal medicine, autoimmune conditions, chronic illness, like like stuff that takes years to deal with. And there there came a point where I I realized like it doesn't really matter who I'm seeing. And again, this is outside of the musculoskeletal stuff. This is all the internal medicine stuff. It's mm-hmm. like all of the things that I provide as a practitioner, be it uh, dietary changes or herbs or acupuncture or or massage, whatever it is I'm providing, it's like that That accounts for such a small portion of their overall healing journey. And let's even pretend I'm their only practitioner. They're coming to see me twice a week, which never happens. But let's pretend that's the case. I'm like, what they do at home accounts for so much more. And I got interested in this idea of like, well, how do, how do I actually help people start to do their home care? Because, I mean, I've talked to a lot of massage therapists and a lot of other practitioners and compliance rates are, are abysmal, you know, like do your stretches. Nobody does them. And I'm like, we got We got to increase this because compliance ultimately is what helps people heal. And that's when I started getting more interested in these coaching skills. Like how do you actually work collaboratively with somebody to encourage them to actually participate in their own health, to to put in the work to get themselves better. And that came in probably six, five, six years into into my practice. And then it started to become more and more part of my practice. And then I guess gradually I realized, turns out I don't really like working with sick people. Mm-hmm. Like spending days upon days of working with people who are like, they're they're sick, you know, they're like getting out of bed is is legitimately something that's that's applause worthy and right. and I do like like holy these people are so sick that I, when they do get out of bed I'm like wow good job and that that just that just wasn't what I wanted to spend my days dealing with and that occurred to me again a little bit later in my practice and I realized I don't want to help people get from sick to healthy I'm more interested in helping healthy people become optimal and then again, that really shifted the direction of my my practice. So when somebody hires you then as a health coach versus like, you know, a sick person coming to see you as a practitioner, what is it that you're like, is this like, you know, you've got weekly calls? Do you like, are you putting them on like a program? And how is it, has, how is it differing from when you're seeing this person and you're giving them supplements and herbs and dietary changes? Like how, how is this different? It's, it's the same thing with, with one key difference being the, the intention of the, the sort of therapeutic relationship. Um, I've, I've realized that by, saying something like i'm i'm going to be your health coach as well as your practitioner it changes people's participation you know like people come into it not thinking hey i'm i'm coming to see dr jessen he's going to fix me it's like hey i'm coming to see dr jessen he's going to help me work on the things i need to work on so this this slight shift in how we interact with each other is really the only difference um, and 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 i guess the commitment it's like people can come and see me as a practitioner Whenever you want, you know, book an appointment. We're not going to come up with a, a a protocol. You know, I might say come back next week, but they don't have to. Whereas with coaching, it's like you're going to buy a package and you're going to commit to four weeks together or eight weeks or however long the commitment is. How hard is it to say, I don't want to deal with sick people? Just in general, I guess for people that 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 it does something for them to help people, which generally is what massage therapists are like in generally. I imagine that's actually a very difficult self-awareness piece and then for you to vocalize it because you can sound like a fucking dick. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. and, and I, I imagine that in that self-awareness process, maybe even maybe even did feel like a dick 
but okay. it's just all part of the discovery of like did did any because I know that's how I feel like when I I I'm I'm similar in that I'm in love with with the industry I'm in love with the profession and there's many parts of this health wellness profession and I'm in love with some of the parts that have nothing to do with client care direct client care and it took me a while to say that that I don't I don't I don't really enjoy that part anymore because I was I didn't want to get pigeonholed as being the dick. Do you know what I mean? And it's not until I was like, fuck it, I'm a dick then in your mind that I just I was just happy to, to say it and embrace the parts of the profession that I that I that I, that that turned me on. And then, you know, I went gangbusters with that kind of stuff. Was any of that difficult for you or is it just like, you know, this is this is the way I think and this is the way I feel this way and I'm gonna go about business this way? Yeah, no, I wish it was that, but no, I'm I it was difficult and, and still still is because I still do right. attract clients who are are very sick. You know, like people dealing with massive levels of burnout and all that. And I, and I still treat it and to treat it and still admit that to myself. Like, I I don't want to do this and find a way to communicate that to clients who seek me out when they are sick. Like, that's really hard. And then saying it on a podcast like this, right. like, yeah, it is. It's challenging. I feel like this is an important piece for a lot of therapists, regardless of your discipline to hear, is that... You got to find what works for you and the people you want to see. Yeah. And there's no shame in saying, I don't like doing that. I don't want to do this, blah, 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 blah. Because if you end up doing something you don't want to do, like you're never going to be there 100%. Yeah. And if you can't show up 100%, then you're doing a massive disservice to that person that is seeking your help. So you're much better off recognizing what you don't like doing regardless of how it sounds or how it makes you feel initially and 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 and, and running with that yeah it is a beautiful thing to be able to have a practice that's filled with the right type of people and i know we we speak about this all the time but i think i had a different attitude about this years ago like maybe when i was earlier in my practice i had this attitude you know if i had a, a patient come to me who was pregnant for example and they would say oh i called around so many places and they didn't do prenatal massage. My now I consider wrong attitude was like, what do you mean? Like we're massage therapists, you know how to do it. But like, I didn't recognize the fact that if you're not somebody that enjoys working with pregnant people or feels confident working with pregnant people, why wouldn't you send them to somebody who who does, right? Um, we had somebody on our couch a couple of years ago who said to me, I, I hate treating pregnant people she said i find pregnant people have a weird smell and i was like i don't know how to respond to that but you know what you do you and uh you know send the pregnant people to me i love working I think, with them i think the comfort in doing that it comes along with with the north american societal shift of how you view your occupation like mm -hmm. when my when my dad was doing trades you were supposed to hate your job. You weren't supposed to love your job. You know what I mean? Right. It's the thing that you did during the day to make the money to pay for your house and your family and blah, 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 blah. It was a thing that you did to provide. It wasn't your identity. My dad was not running around saying, I'm, a, I'm an HVAC guy. It wasn't his identity. His identity was, you know, what he was with his family, what he was with his friends and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But there's a massive shift where a lot of people, like you, your occupation or what you do for work, whether you want to call it occupation or not, translates into like, this is a big part of me and therefore I'm not going to be involved in things that I don't want to do regardless of whether that is 
a skill set that I should have in working order all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think yep. now it's more acceptable to say like, you know what, uh, pregnant people, you smell funny and I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> I don't want right? to work with you. I think more, more people would be like, okay, I get it. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that, you know, we've met, we've had people on the couch who do end of life care. And I know for a lot of people that would be an absolute like, no, that's not for me. And that's okay. We've had people on the couch who work with um, children, young adults with uh, developmental disabilities or, you know, neurodivergent people. We've had people who work with um, uh, amputees or like there's just whatever it is that you are really good at it and you want to help these people that's fantastic and if you don't there's somebody that does and I think yeah like Mark said it's easier now to say like yeah you know I don't I don't find that I, you know, we, he always uses the example of uh, lymphatic drainage. Technically, we all learned basics of manual lymphatic drainage when we were in school, right? But it's not something that I've put a lot of focus on. So if somebody were to call me and say, like, my doctor says I need lymphatic massage, I would be much quicker to send them names of people I know in the area who offer, like, specifically lymphatic drainage, right? It, it just makes a lot more sense. And it's fine to do that now. But yeah, I definitely had that attitude when I was like earlier in my practice that, well, we know how to do all of these things. And like, uh, like an acupuncturist, our scope of practice is massive. So if it's something I can treat, it's musculoskeletal. Yeah, come, I can work on it. Whereas now I'd be like, yeah, there's, there's somebody better. And I don't really enjoy doing that. So I, I get it. You didn't enjoy working with sick people. You want to work with people on improving their wellness and helping them function optimally, which is something that was in my bio years ago when I started as a therapist. I want to help people function optimally. So yeah, that's great that you recognize that. So tell me a little bit about the program. Tell me a little bit about the coaching. Weirdly enough, at this point in time in my career, most of my clients are massage therapists because I have been teaching and in, in the industry for so long. That's kind of my, my main referral. So um, a lot of it has to do with with maintaining their health and also working on their career. But basically with the way it works is somebody will book a little call, you know, we chat about it. What are the goals? And then the first several weeks together, and there, there's various lengths of commitment, right? Like four weeks, eight weeks, you know, six months indefinite. Uh, most people choose the the four week or eight week option. But quite frankly, the majority of it, like the first several weeks, it's just, it's all about goals. That's it. I mean, back to that aim word, it's about goals and goal setting and, right. and a lot of self-awareness, like, for massage therapists, such a huge part of the conversation is exactly what you two were just explaining. It's like, let, let's identify how you actually want your practice to look and, and work on how do we get there? That's sort of the business part. And then the health part is again, figuring out the goals. It's like, well, okay, you don't, you don't feel your best first off. Well, why, why do you actually want to feel better? Because it turns out if you don't have a super profound and incredibly motivating why, You'll get like three weeks out of a wellness program and then right. that's it. Uh, you need that why. So so a huge part of it is is motivation, goal setting, uh, self-awareness type stuff. And then strategizing from there once the goals are set, it's it's how do we actually accomplish these health goals and and such a huge part of it for me. And it's a it's a, a starting this new uh program actually in February first is when I'm doing the first intake and it's called Elements of Health and it, it's it's emphasized on so you want to get healthy, right? Like let's just say you're you're healthy and you want to maybe even become optimal. Go ahead and, and hop on to Google or YouTube and, and do some search on like sleep habits. Like just pick something easier. Maybe let's go crazy and say, like, how do you improve your nutrition? And um it's 
it's ridiculous, not only how much information out there is out there, but how much contradictory information there is oh, yeah. out there. And then lastly, when you look at the information, how unrealistic it really is, you know? So a big part of the coaching process, it's like, okay, well, here's what, here's what a perfect diet looks like, um, which is outrageous. It's absurd for a person to try and have a perfect diet, if that's at all possible. So mm. it's like, let's talk about how we make your diet ideal for your life. Let's talk about how we we incorporate exercise into your life that's realistic in a way that you're actually going to to sustain. So a lot of it is is negotiation and recognizing the reality of all of these different practices that we're supposed to do every day. Tell me something that you cuz you're in it. I want to know something from someone who's in it that you don't like about the coaching industry? Yeah, good question. What I don't like about the coaching industry. Like I can probably rhyme off a billion things that I don't like about the massage oh, profession, yeah. right? <laughs> I can rhyme off. <laughs> yeah. a, I'm curious as to, because I, I don't, I, 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 I see a lot of people that do coaching. And so yeah. I would imagine if I got into coaching, right, I might, I might look at some of the stuff like just in general and be like, what the fuck is this all about? Do you know what I mean? So I'm kind of curious as to someone who's, who's, who, who's probably analyzed this enough to go, yeah, you know what? This, this, these are things that I don't particularly like about it. And therefore mm -hmm. this is things that I'm going to make sure I stay clear of doing or stay clear of this type of thing. Or The sales tactics are probably at the top of the list. Mm. Um, I mean, whenever you take a coaching program on how to become a coach, it's like half of it is on coaching skills. The other half of it is on how do you market yourself as a coach? And that, right. that's, I get it. Like there's, there's a lot of people coaching out there. So you have to learn how to market yourself, but I don't, I don't really like most of the marketing techniques um, because so much of it is let's show you the end result. Like yes. look at, look at me and how healthy and perfect uh, everything is. And you just made Mark going, so happy. Because <laughs> you know what? It's, it's such, it's, it's, that's such a U.S. thing, eh? That mm. is such a big U.S. thing. So we had a very intelligent, talented therapist come in and shoot some video with us. He's, he's, he's originally from, from, from up here, but his practice is in the States and he's been living in the States for decades and that's where he does his thing. And we're doing some of this video stuff with him and the messaging on it is just not hitting me right because it's one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to share what I do and the success that I have with you so you can take this and be successful like me too. Do you know what I mean? And the, these are the things that I do with my clients and look at the quick results that I get with them. And I was like, mm. okay, that's cool. But that, that, to me, that's, that's a weird sales job kind of thing. It's a strange tactic. It's an old school tactic. And I'm like, how about this? How about we just provide value? How about, we, how about we approach it as, hey, these are some things that I know. These are things you might want to give a try, and uh, it might work for you. Here, yeah. this is how this is how it can go, and, and that simpleness to it, it just with the goal of I'm providing value versus I I I need to feel like I'm because it almost felt like I need to be at the top of the chain here. I need to be at, at the top of the hill, and I'm, I'm, I'm the messaging a part of that is positioning myself at the top of the hill. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But he's not like that though. He's not like that in person. He's not like that at see, all. As as uh, educators, like uh, Conad's mission statement, uh, Conad Institute, our education company, in the mission statement, we, we, we say we eliminate hierarchy because we're sharing ideas with other therapists who we can also learn from. Right? Everybody can provide some value, and one thing. I liked about what you were saying, Jess, in terms of your coaching is you're working collaboratively with your 
your people and figuring out like what's realistic for you, what makes sense for you. Because as you said, there's so many, so much contradictory information that exists surrounding nutrition and sleep and supplementation and all of these things. I can, you know, I can tell you that melatonin is good and bad in five minutes, right? Like it's every, I can tell you how you should be balancing your hormones and how you shouldn't be balancing your hormones. And guess what? Those things are the same. So it's, there is a lot of information, but what I like about your approach and saying that I'm working with the person to look at how can we you know, make your diet better for you versus the perfect diet, because a lot of it is unrealistic and you will last three weeks. And I mean, I've done it over and over and over again, as I'm sure a lot of listeners have versus, you know, I see a lot of uh, coaches out there and it sounds very much like what Mark is describing, where the undertone is, I have found the secret. Mm. If everybody were to just follow my six simple steps or my eight week program or, you know, this or that or however they want to phrase it, you will get these results. Well, results are going to vary with anything you do. And that's part of being with a coach a little bit long term and having them to get to know you because every body is different. Every nervous system is different. People's habits are different. Like even even just the habit part of it, it takes weeks to get somebody into a new habit. So there's there's no magic pill or secret formula or one size fits all for this type of thing. And I think for the coaching industry or massage or education or any of them, that's the thing that irks me the most is the people with this undertone of like, I have found mm. the key to fixing everything. Like, well, no, you haven't. And the shame in that, there's probably a lot of valuable things that can come out of that particular person. Yeah. But you've just tuned off a whole bunch of people really, really fast. Yeah, definitely. So with you, Jess, people are, they're working with you to figure out how to better themselves, focusing on goals. And I like that as well, because like you said, if you don't have some sort of goal set or destination that you're looking to get to, like I've done multiple times in my life, you know, good habits will last two to three weeks. And then I'm like, well, I can just go back to the way I was. This is hard. So are all these pieces part of the podcast that's going to be coming out in the new year? Um, Yeah, kind of. I mean, the, the name of the podcast is Aim in Practice, and it's kind of has two different, I guess, goals or topics that I want to discuss. And, and the first is talking with with practitioners and and really getting to, to the root of, of that, that word practitioner, like what a strange thing to say, I am a practitioner or I practice mm. medicine or whatever it is you practice and look at what their practice actually looks like in, in reality, you know, like topics like we were talking about, do you, do you have a niche? Uh, what do you think about these different things? Um, but then another part of it is, is talking a lot about all of these different wellness things that we do and how do we apply them? How do we actually put them in practice? So coming up with, with the reality at night, I'm going to have got a, a couple interviews lined up where I'll, I'll be talking with, with people who, who focus just on sleep. Like their whole, their whole gig is let's get somebody sleep perfect and, right. and be like, okay, well, you know, I've, I've read your book and according to your book, I'm supposed to do all of these things. But the fact is that's not real for 99% of of the population living a real life. So let's talk about how do we actually put these things into practice. So really getting down into the the real life practicality of of maintaining and staying healthy. Yeah, I like that you keep talking about being realistic. Um you know, I I I saw this I don't know, it was like a Facebook meme or something or something like that a long time ago, which was like talking about like you know, women, all these things you're expected to do. And it was like, you know, maintain a perfect household, look nice, go to work, do that, do this, uh, 
drink eight glasses of water, sleep eight hours. And I, I can't remember. It was like this laundry list of things you're supposed to do every day. Make sure you make time to meditate and exercise and this and that and stretch. And, you know, don't forget to breathe, but also make sure that you Sounds play tiring. with your kids. Like just it was this list of everything <laughs> you have to do in a day. And the whole point of it was like, like, this is not realistic. Right. And so you have to figure out something that is realistic for you. So I will give an example. Me and exercise have a weird relationship. I, when I met Mark, we're on again and off again. And, you know, sometimes we love each other, sometimes we hate it's each hot, other. Heavy and sweaty, then it cools off. Yeah, yeah. 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 So when Mark and I met, I, I would have been in the gym six days a week at that time in my life. You know, exercise was actually my boyfriend. And that was, that was where I spent all my free time was working out, working out. And I think it then, I don't know if it was because of that habit. And then I, I got really out of it, just, you know, a combination of working full time, going to school full time. And I developed this all or none mentality that it took some time for me to recognize. It was like, if I wasn't doing it perfectly, as you said, Jess, if I wasn't going to the gym, you know, five, six times a week, then what's, what's even the point? So it was mm -hmm. like, I sort of eliminated exercise altogether because I couldn't do it the way that I thought this is the way you're supposed to work out. I'm supposed to go to the gym five, six days a week for an hour versus now the way I look at it is, okay, as long as I'm doing, even if it's 20, 30 minutes every day, but I'm moving in some way, like it's a very different mm -hmm. mentality, but it took a long time for me to get to that point where it doesn't have to be all or one. So all of last week, I had a combination of sick kids and family stress and work. And I did not see the inside of the gym once last week. But this was the first time in my probably in my adult life that I didn't beat myself up or decide, well, I guess I've fallen off the wagon and I'm not working out anymore. It was okay. I didn't get as much movement last week. That is not affecting this week. This week I can I can do it. And it doesn't mean I have to double up this week. Like, again, it's this mentality of like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's what's realistic. Last week, going to the gym wasn't realistic. This week it can be. You know, I, I as as I hear you say that, what, what occurred to me is um, I think although I no longer enjoy working with sick people. I'm so grateful for that, you know, half a decade where that was, that was my life and my practice is because it really forced me to understand, like I take these continuing education workshops talking about what the perfect diet or the perfect, whatever it is, and then trying to apply this to my, my sick patients. And it's like, okay, you need to be exercising for an hour a day. And they're like, dude, come on. Like I got out of bed. I got yesterday. out of bed today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, okay, holy crap! In in this like reservoir of knowledge of what a person needs to do to stay healthy, it does not fit these sick patients. And then I realized that kind of in the coaching industry, that mentality doesn't exist. It's like you're healthy. Well, do the things. Do do be perfect. But I kind of take that same mentality of of like working with with sick people, and I, I apply it to people who want to be optimal because that same mindset is really what gets somebody from where they are to the next step. Like it doesn't matter if you're, you're sick or if you're healthy, you can't, you can't take 20 steps. You got to take the next baby step. And it yeah. is always about negotiation about what's real. Like what, what can you really do? Yeah, absolutely. I always wonder this about people that do coaching. I always wonder this about anyone that knows stuff about the way your mind works. Do you ever turn it off or is it always on? Like, are you always, when, 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 you're, when you're having a conversation with somebody, are you ever like, 
Are, are you ever not in work mode at some point? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, are you <laughs> listening to not, someone yeah. talking and you're like, well, this is what I hear. And, you know, and this is the way that I think you can, you know. I can to, help you. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it always on like that? No, 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 it isn't. Like, like in this conversation, not even remotely, yeah. um, you know, like it's, it's impossible to play those two roles of just having an awesome, friendly conversation versus the therapeutic conversation. But that being said, is because uh, a, a lot of the conversations clinically, they they are dense and emotionally heavy. Yeah. If I'm sitting down with a friend and that conversation moves into that territory, that's when it's a conscious struggle for me not to mm. go into work brain. Or when Brianna and I are sitting down and having a relationship conversation, like that is the worst thing you could do. You're like <laughs> I can tell you the absolute worst thing you could do is go into to coach mode when you're having conversation with your significant other. So no, it's not always on, but there are times where it's it's like an effort not to go there for yeah. sure. I've always wanted to know that. Yeah, it's I mean it's with any profession, like with you know, people who do like cognitive behavioral therapy. I wonder the same thing. Like, are you analyzing? Yeah, me I'm right like, I don't now? want to have a conversation with you. <laughs> I, I, be, I, I know, be friends with you. <laughs> I know lots of people who, you know, would label themselves as, you know, intuitive or, you know, they they feel energy. And those people, I will sit down with them and I'm always wondering, like, are you reading my energy yes, right now? They are. <laughs> like, because at some point in the conversation, someone's gonna say something. Like we did a we did a Zoom with uh with I can't say her name because she's an alliteration. But any which way we and she's like Amanda, I'm I'm seeing oh, your or, there's something going on with yeah, your with your yeah, liver. Yeah. I'm like we're just we're just having a, <laughs> like I can't yeah. I feel <laughs> that's when I was like I don't even want to talk. Although we <laughs> I was gonna we leave have, the room. I don't even want to be been seen. Guilty of it when we were uh, younger and childless and we'd go out drinking on a that's Friday different. night. I, I mean it was it was more of a fun drunken game. Drunk but we would we'd walk home from the bar and then when we'd be walking yeah, behind other gate. people, we'd be analyzing their <laughs> gate. <laughs> I still do that. No no question. I'm going for a hike. That that you know, and I think it's kind of like that with the, the health coach because there's there is a part of you that's like deeply doing it, so you could easily tune into it. Yeah, um, but it does, it's not occupying any any you know percentage of your your consciousness. Yeah, like <laughs> but, I think I found myself like during massage school, I found myself at a ripper joint going, "She's genuvalgum." <laughs> 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 oh boy <laughs> my buddy's like what i'm like her knees he's like why are you looking at her knees <laughs> like i don't know man massage school <laughs> yeah massage school you can't help it you look at bodies so differently after that you do right yeah and it's it's i, I mean i i certainly appreciate it it's like like a whole new level of appreciation for for most interactions you have because you get to understand somebody on another level, and and in this case, I'm talking about just the physical aspect. Doing postural assessment is is it's it's kind of nice to have that going on in the background. It's more information about the person that I think can be helpful. Mm, absolutely. I want to I want to talk a little bit about your education company. Yeah. So we brought it up right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So um, when did you guys decide to shift from being purely practitioners to yeah. running an education company and like i said you're like the the mark and amanda of the west because that's all we do now yeah well i i've been teaching um in massage and acupuncture colleges for about 10 years uh, so i've been i've been in in that world the whole education thing like like i said with the at the start with where it began you know mm -hmm. doing some amp tutoring but from there i spent more and more time in the classroom so i i realized that I, I I love teaching. Like that's that's such a a great place for me to be. I really feel ignited when I'm in front of a class. 
So I continued to pursue that and to a greater and greater degree while maintaining my practice. But then then there came this point after having been to a couple of different colleges and and I'm just like this this isn't this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to teach to exams anymore. Right. Like yeah. every once in a while I would I would be given a class where I had freedom, you know, it's like, oh don't worry, none of this stuff is going to be on the board exam or the national exam. You just need to teach them about blah 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 blah. Right. And I'm like, goody, I get to have fun. Um, so once I kind of realized I, I don't enjoy teaching to this r- rigid curriculum and also realizing like all of the stuff we teach in, mas- I shouldn't say all of it, but a good portion of the stuff that's taught in massage school and acupuncture school, it's like once you graduate, eh, is it is it that helpful? You know, the actual practical skills, certainly, but so much of the time spent talking about theory and stuff that seems important yep. in theory, it's not helpful as a practitioner. So that's when I started thinking, I need to do continuing education, you know, to actually create courses and teach things that, one, I really enjoy doing and and light me up, and two, that are really helpful to practitioners, both skills that they're going to need, technical skills, but more and more so I'm emphasizing on these soft skills and these other skills, things like business and rapport building and, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So that was sort of the, the impetus to, to move into creating our own continuing education companies, just being tired with working at colleges, which I think, uh, Mark, you and I talked about this. I think it's pretty pretty similar to your story, right? Yeah, that's a uh, parallel. <laughs> it sounds identical. I'm like, I've heard this before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how long has AIM Online Education, how long have you guys been in existence now? Uh, we're coming up on three years. So we're, we're pretty pretty new still. Uh, we, we actually launched right before COVID hit, March 2020. So we we launched February 2020, put our first course out and, you know, a couple people enrolled and then COVID hit. And the timing was actually pretty good for an online education company at that point in time. True. Right? Like everybody's yeah. like, what am I going to do with all of my time? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we kind of, we had a good start. And then uh, from there, it's just been, you know, keeping the ball rolling and being, being a business owner now, an education business owner, which is totally different than a practice owner, as you guys Absolutely. know. Yeah. We do. And I have yeah. to ask, how how is it running a business with your significant other? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could talk a, I could talk a whole podcast about that. But <laughs> yeah. do you guys find it difficult to be at home and just like have conversations that are not about work? Yeah, we we we're at this point where quite frankly, we rarely do because we, uh, like the, the studio's in the house. That's where we do a lot of the filming. Um, our our practice it's now from the home, so our home is is our it's our base. We we live here and we practice our our various forms of medicine here, and I I teach from here, right? So, no, it's it's really challenging to maintain that work life balance, um, and we, we have to like like make make hard lines. You know, before nine a.m. there is zero work talk allowed. Love like, that, not allowed. Yeah, and that's it's it's challenging, but yeah, it's it's really hard. And then to have a relationship, like it, like a, an intimate relationship, that's also challenging because you want to sit down and just talk about life, about the future, and it's like, well, let's talk about aim. Yeah, that's that's the future, isn't it? Like, no, there's more more to it. It's, <laughs> it's challenging for it's sure. It's interesting though because couples who don't work together, run a business together, what do they do? They come home from work, 
How was your day, honey? Tell me about your day. And so the two of you would maybe sit down to dinner and talk about your respective days at work. So you would be talking about work. It's just you weren't there. So in our case, I mean, similar to you and Brienne, like... We come home from work where we've so we've spent the entire day together. Our office is just down the street from our home. So we yeah. literally like, we'll see in three minutes. We go home <laughs> and then, you know, we've got kids. So we will hang out with the kids for a bit and it won't be about work. But then once the kids go to bed, it it is an interesting, like it has to be a conscious effort to have conversations that aren't completely surrounding work or kids, like to actually just talk about like anything else. Like it's for me, mm-hmm. weed helps. Yeah, weed helps. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not even No, kidding. but that is weed, true because... Weed actually just like turns my brain off of work and very fast. I realized a couple Puts years ago that <laughs> I need to have like, you know how you said no work talk before 9 a.m., Jess? I need to have at least two hours before I go to sleep where I'm not thinking anything related to work. And so... Um, I remember I started to get like almost resentful because I hadn't like verbally expressed this to Mark. And so he would just like start talking and he's talking Con Ed, Con Ed, Con Ed. And I realized I was getting angry at him, like enough, enough. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, for him, he doesn't maybe need that, but I need that. So I just said to him finally, like at this time at night, like starting from, you know, let's say 10 o'clock, there is zero or nine o'clock, whatever, zero talk of Con Ed. Like, I can't, I can't listen to it. I can't hear it. We'll pick this up again in the morning. Because for, yeah. for, for me, there, there are no set work hours. It's all, it's like when I feel like doing shit. Yeah. So that also comes along to the terror with the territory of like, it's when I feel like talking about shit. Yeah. So it's never like, oh, well, this is when I'm in work mode. This is when I'm in nod. It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm always sort of in work mode. Yeah. I get that for sure. I mean, my, my schedule, I, I, I operate best from about 5.30 a.m. till 9 a.m. Like that's, that's my power time. Mm. So that's when I'm most active in my work. But similarly, Brianne is like, no. Like, like she's the one who put the before 9 a.m. no work talk. Right. But for me, it would be similar to you, Mark. It's just like, that's it's just, I'm, this is when I'm working. This is when it works for me. So, yeah, Mark does a lot of editing and a lot of the creative stuff late at night. I think that's when, you know, he might get into super creative early mode. In the morning too. Or, yeah, it, late at night or super early in the morning. That 5 a.m., he has definitely I, started editing video at 5 a.m. <laughs> it's, it's actually really funny because uh, um, I, I recently posted a clip of Kobe Bryant talking about his, his workouts and his practicing, right? He's like, if I get up at four in the morning, I can be at the gym from five to seven and then I'm back home and doing something else and I'm back at the gym for another two hours. And so basically he's like, I've trained like five times in this day because I've woken up early yeah. and, uh, and he's like, because I've done that, it doesn't matter what my competitors do and how they train, how much they train in the off season, they will never catch up to me ever mm-hmm. because by time they've they've added in these little things and all these tricks that they're doing in the off season I'm five years ahead of them in yeah. terms of training like I'm untouchable at this point and I posted that because I kind of operate like that where I want to feel like I've done a day's worth of work before everyone's even gotten up like that's when I mm-hmm. I love this I'm like I've gone to work and I've come home already and you guys are now getting out of bed so I'm living like three days in a single day yeah. and so but a friend of mine he's like well this is easy if you know you've got some someone that watches your kids and preps your meals I'm, I'm like I'm not I'm not saying like you have to do it like Kobe Bryant but I'm yeah. just saying like hey, these things are possible and Mark does you... have somebody who watches his kids and preps his meals I know her she's great yeah she's pretty <laughs> but I would, but I just mean like you know if if you if you if you want something like that to happen, you can find a way to make it happen if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. But like Brianne, I need to have like certain hours where it's not work because 
I, I feel like if my brain doesn't get that that rest, then I'm never functioning optimally. You know, mm. like I'm mm-hmm. always just I always feel like this is just dragging on, dragging on. But if I get like, you know, a certain number of hours where there is no work, then when work turns back on, I can just go full force and I'm good. The whole concept of work-life balance trips me out a little bit because I think when people talk about work-life balance, they're talking about shutting off work or mm. they're having this weird kind of equal balancing act of work. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not a, It's not about this equal balancing act, at least, at least for me anyway. And, f- and what's important for me in work is the speed of which I can get things done, right? That's really important to me because the faster I can get things done means the more things I can get. It's the whole Colby Bryant thing. Like you cannot catch up to me now, even if you tried, because like I said, I've, I've, I've done three days of work in one day mm-hmm. just because, but this is where the work life balance people don't, don't really get me. It's like, I'm going to do that for five years and guess what? <laughs> Now I can shut it all down and now I can just chill if I really, if I wanted to. And now I've built it to the machine that it is already. And what did that take? That took the three to five years of going a little hard, but then I've got the rest of my times of going soft. Work-life balance also, like you said, doesn't have to be an equal balance. And I think that's where it depends on what's important to you. Like we've talked about this before, but work-life balance for me is I have a certain amount of things that have to be done, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly. Like I, I always have these things that I want done. And the order in which they do them and the times in which they do them don't always necessarily matter. But like for me, for example, I have to switch hats like three to four different times a day, right? I've got right. I've got mom mode, I'm con ed mode, I'm still practitioner mode, we, you're podcasting. So when I look at all the things that have to be done in a week and when I do things, as long as I make sure I'm carving out time for for both work and life and the way, then, then I'm See, good. It doesn't I don't, have to be equal. I don't think about work-life balance on the day. I think of work-life balance for my life. And so I say to myself, what is going to be the duration of my life? How much of that later part of it do I actually want to do shit? Do you know what I mean? I'd rather kill myself now and sit pretty and coast later than work at 60% for the rest of my time. I don't want to work at 60% of the rest of my time. I want to work 80% now and 10% later. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want this because I, I can't imagine being in the place where I want to be for my work and my projects and everything else, being at 60% the whole time, the whole duration of me doing this, this is constant work. This is never going away. Yes, it's smaller amounts of work, but it's constant. I'd rather kill myself now than turn the whole thing down and coast down the street later. Turn off the engine and just let this thing fucking go down the hill. Do you know what I mean? But anyway, which way? What do I know? Fucking you know, as, as, I, as I hear you two talk, it's, it's interesting because like, I don't know if you've ever done any personality tests or anything like that but i'm i'm huge fan of pretty much any one of those systems and and it's like the, those are like key personality traits right like the 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 personality that's wake up early get shit done go 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 you know like if you're into astrology you call it like the the taurus mentality or whatever like there's a million different terms we could use for it mm. versus the more like you know steady as she goes make sure that there's there's Things have their place in their time, like like fundamentally different personality traits. Yep. And for for myself and Brianne, you know, kind of to, to your question is, is how do we balance that? Is that's such a huge part for me is realizing like, whoa, these are like fundamental personality differences. 
And part of it for us is just really acknowledging that this is, this is me. This is how I operate. I, mm-hmm. I do operate in this way. And if I don't operate in this way, mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of miserable. Yep. Like if I yep. don't get that time in the morning to just work my ass off. And if I'm not allowed to, I say allowed, but I hope you know what I mean. Like yeah, we I'm know allowed to, but if we I get can't do the work in the way that I want to, which for me, similar to you, Mark, is like, just go, go do it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It's harmful to me. Like I feel like zapped. Whereas understanding that, that like, that's not how Brienne is. And it's actually quite the opposite. That was such a huge part of our navigating working together is really getting like, she, she, this really genuinely doesn't work for her to do that way. And if I operate like that, it really genuinely doesn't work for me. So it's a lot of negotiation. Like, yeah. okay, you need to work at this time. Good. How are we going to make this work now? It's, it sounds very, very similar to us. And it is, it, it did take us a little while to figure that out where, you know, I recognize that if Mark doesn't get three days of work done in a day, he is going to be miserable. Guess who has to deal with that? It's all me. <laughs> so I'd rather let him do three days of work in yeah. a day than have to deal with miserable Mark. That's not fun. And he also does understand and respect that, you know, sometimes I'm just not in work mode. So for example, he trusts me enough to know that if I've got seven things that have to get done this week, you know, if he's told me I need to write up for this podcast, I need to edit this article, I need to whatever he's given, like this is what has to be done this week. He trusts me enough to know that I will get it done. I never need to be micromanaged. But if I'm not doing it at five o'clock in the morning, he knows why I'm not ready to work yet. Yeah, it's it sounds pretty, pretty remarkable how how similar. Uh all four of us yeah, would be cool. I told you, very similar. I'm going to call us the Jess and Brienne of the East. There you go. <laughs> so why don't we do this? Uh, why don't Why don't you give out your contact info, the website, any of the social platforms, uh, the podcast information, and let's get all of our listeners uh, jumping all over your stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, uh, easiest way to get a hold of me, and I, I am very open to any type of question, comment, curiosity. Just just send me an email. It's Jess at aimonline.com. As far as the socials are concerned, on um, Facebook and Instagram, it's uh, AIM Online Education. And then YouTube, which is actually our most active platform, it's same thing, at AIM Online Education. So those are the the socials. Website is aimonline.com. And then from there, there's uh, a bunch of courses people could um, take. We've got a couple of free ones coming up with two or three new free ones this year, just to kind of get a taste of what we do. And Yeah, all the information is there. And and like I said, uh, ask questions. Oh, same with, with coaching. The information's on that website too, aimonline.com. If uh, anybody's interested in coaching or talking, then either email me or you can find the contact information through the website. Right. And we're looking forward to having you uh, at our conference in uh, yeah. September. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to be super yeah, I'm exciting. I'm about that too. Yeah. Uh, quick question before we do sign off. What is the name of the podcast coming out? Oh, right. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, it's it's Aim in Practice. And, Aim in Practice. Uh, right, it'll be like on all the of the podcast platforms, nice. so just aim in practice. And the same thing will be on YouTube as well. Uh, aim in practice. Right on, man. That's been good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's nice catching up with you, Jess. And hopefully we will get some time when we see each other in person again to actually make it out for that dinner that we kept trying to, <laughs> to yes. arrange in Edmonton. <laughs> I sure hope so. Yeah, it was really awesome chatting with you both. Uh, thanks again. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.